The year is 1197 and the long night has begun. When darkness falls, monsters walk the streets and alleys of the cities, congregating to plot and scheme. Fearing fire, the cross, and the lupines of the wild, the elder Cainites nonetheless seek to guide and control human civilization through centuries-old plots, while the younger vampires scrabble for power, influence, and prestige. Welcome to the world of Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 17 of the World of Dark Ages podcast. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. Sadly, we have no new patrons to announce uh, today. Uh, however, if you want to shout out and access to a podcast early, then join our Patreon. And also, um, like we've said before, we don't really have time to make extra content for the Patreon. But if we get uh, up to five patrons, which is just two more, uh, we're going to give you uh, a sort of a look behind the scenes of how we do it and upload our notes for uh, one of our sessions so that you can see the kind of notes that we take and perhaps even have fun comparing the notes to how the episode actually ends up. Because trust me, uh, I know that I go off script quite a bit. Yeah, me too. There's there's often quite a few things that I, I either completely forget about or that we just haven't had the time for. So yeah. if, if that's something you'd like to see, then just uh, join our Patreon. Yes. Anyway, Peter, have you been up to anything special the last week, say maybe on Wednesday? Uh, yeah, it was actually my birthday, but <laughs> since since it was the it's the year of the plague part two, uh, I, I couldn't actually do that much. Uh, and and also since it's on a Wednesday, I, I had to work and stuff. Uh, but but yeah, I'm I'm older now. I've leveled up. Um, yeah, congratulations. So did you at least you get some good presents? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, it's uh, well, I haven't received I, I haven't been able to receive uh, <laughs> some of the presents, but but yeah, my my girlfriend uh, gave me a, a reusable face mask with a ah. character from the Moomin books, uh, ah. <laughs> which, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, so that was that was really nice of her. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'll say I, I, um, I'm a bit disappointed, actually, because I was hoping that yesterday at the time of recording, not at the time of publishing this, uh, 10% of the world would turn into orcs and goblins, as is foretold in, sh- in the role-playing game Shadowrun, but it didn't happen. Oh, is, is it supposed to be in 2021? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the 30th of, um, of April 2021 is Goblinization Day. So, uh, so 10% of the, the population should have turned into, uh, into orcs and goblins, uh, sorry, orcs and, and trolls, but that didn't happen. So I'm starting to think that Shadowrun might have been wrong. Yeah, it, it, well, I'm guessing it kind of depends on how you look at it, because last of April is a big, like, student celebration here in Uppsala and and also in quite a few other places in uh, in, in Sweden and, and Finland and if you look at how people act at least when it's not the corona then then they do act kind of like trolls and, and orcs and and misbehave so <laughs> perhaps the the, uh, the prophecy was a bit skewed or, or was misinterpreted or maybe they were just talking about internet trolls because a lot of people are turning <sighs> into that <laughs> yeah, yeah unfortunately yeah. So anyway, um, today's book is Labella Sanguinis Three Wolves at the Door. It's written by Jason Langlois, Michael E. Lee, and Clayton Oliver, and developed by Philip R. Bull. 
Uh, now, with the previous Libella Sanguinis covers, we have complained that we could not tell what clan was supposed to be represented by what character. That is certainly not the case with this cover. It is quite clear who is the Gangrel, who is the Asamite, and who is the Setite. Other than that, I have to say I really don't care for the cover. The Asamite seems to be carrying a Kukri and is wearing next to nothing, with the Setite who has some weird snake arms draped over her in a in a really suggestive pose, and then the Gangrel has some weird short-handled Lapras axe. The two female characters in the picture are posed very suggestively, and the Gangrel looks kind of goofy, so I, I really don't like it. Yeah, no, the, it's... I, I'm hoping that it's supposed to be just an exaggeration of everything, because the Gangrel have some very obvious um, animalistic features, including horns and mustaches that kind of remind me of of uh, the kevin smith movie tusk if you've seen that one that's uh, one of the very few kevin smith movies i haven't seen actually yeah okay well for for those of you who have seen it you you kind of get what i'm i'm after but but yeah it's i don't know it it looks very troll like this this gangrel or or just just a general stereotype of of something i i don't know but but yeah i agree it's it's not a very good cover unfortunately no i mean technically there's nothing wrong with it i i couldn't do a a drawing like that but it's just yeah the the way that the especially the female characters are posed and everything and and we have a cookery which always annoys me it's yeah Yeah. Uh, internally the art is quite different from chapter to chapter so if we start with the gangrel chapter i think the art is fine but it is way too dark I don't know if there was some kind of printing error, but it's really, really hard to make it out. Yeah, I, I say the same. It's um, it's very hard to see in some places, and, and like you said, it might be the, the printing or the scanning or something. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's a lot of it, it's a lot of dark, shadowy uh, creatures or characters with with uh, bright uh, bright uh, gleaming eyes and and white teeth so that's in some picture that's about the only thing you get yeah uh, and the Asomite chapter is off to a really bad start with a picture that almost screams fanatic wide-eyed Muslim terrorist with uh, the main subject of the picture carrying a curved dagger and a huge curved sword of the type that was never used in the Middle East. It actually yeah. looks more like a European falchion. And even before this, in the introduction, we have another wide-eyed fanatic with a curved sword um, holding this this blonde woman um Curved swords are a problem in the pictures here, uh, and and I've talked about them before. Mm. Uh, so these two pictures, I feel, are really unfortunate. The rest of the Asamite chapter, I don't really have a problem with, but these two pictures were just like, oh, seriously, guys, come on. Yeah, yeah. There there is this problem with, uh, and and it's it's a stereotype that unfortunately has been around in in basically white supremacist propaganda for forever. Like you you have this swarthy dark-skinned uh, half-naked men who are kidnapping blonde beautiful women and taking them away to to do whatever with them uh, and these these images in this book really plays into that stereotype and i i know that white wolf that that they aren't going into the whole supremacy uh, white supremacy thing but they, they, they kind of, they, they don't do anything to um, these pictures. Uh, to clarify, 
kind of uh, enhance that that stereotype, unfortunately, uh, which is, as you say, or, or it's it's kind of sad because one of the actual first pictures in in the book is uh, a man standing on on a mountain top. Uh, or two men actually dressed in in traditional uh, Arabic uh, clothes, standing over a bunch of dead uh, crusaders, uh, and and it doesn't say which clan um, anyone belongs to. You can of, of course infer that the the uh, Arabic dressed people are uh, are Asmites and that the crusaders are uh, non Asmites. But but again, it, this is the kind of of imagery imagery and um, illustrations that I would prefer in a book like like this to to show a, a more down to earth and and realistic portrayal of of the people of the this. Uh, time and era, especially since running around with no clothes on is not really good in in even if you're a vampire or or mortal in this time and place. So yeah, it's it's a bit unfortunate to say the least. Yeah, I mean uh, we do have on page seventy two uh, in the Asmite chapter uh, one of the sample characters, the Renunciate Crusader. I mean he has this this weird uh, ball spiked ball mace that. I've talked about before, but mm. I will mention that his shield, which is uh, a kite shield, is is really good, and he's carrying it in the correct manner with uh, the strap, which is called a guiche, over one shoulder. Mm. So uh, for for once, I I have absolutely no complaints about uh, about uh, this. This is uh, how people would carry shields like that when they were not in battle. Uh, if we go on to the uh, satire section, it has some decent pictures and one that I absolutely love, which is on page 105, which is a picture of a, a mummy. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be rising from its sarcophagus, but it does look like it because you have the canoptic jars next to it and everything. I think yeah. that picture is really, really evocative uh, and, and also quite creepy when you look at the, the mummy. Um, so that is the kind of picture that you could use to really show a satire. Okay, you're in trouble. Um, so, so I have no complaints about the artwork in the Setite chapter. No, me, me neither. Uh, I'm, uh, or, or I would actually mention one thing, uh, and I'm going to come back to it later. And, and it's, um, uh, it, it's in the sample characters, and you have the servants of, of uh, Set, the the court poet, on page one o seven. Um, because it it looks like he he has a natural beard, uh, and the thing was that if if you were an Egyptian priest back back in the days, uh, you would and I think it went for nobility as well that you would actually oh, yes. pluck uh, all of your hair, uh, yeah. you you would shave and you would pluck everything. So so the the things you see in in Egyptian art of, of pharaohs and people like that having this long kind of bent almost like a reverse j-shaped beards uh those are all uh, fake beards yeah uh, so if if this would have been a proper uh, egyptian then then he wouldn't have a beard or it could be a fake beard but um it's it's just a, an interesting uh just just a side thing uh since yeah both i mean have beards, so yeah he, <laughs> he we, could he could we're not egyptian no, uh, he could be um, he could be trying to blend into a Muslim court, obviously. So mm. you know where where men are supposed to have beards. But you're right, and I think it was Nefertiti who 
declared herself uh, not a queen but a pharaoh and the way that you that that she showed that she was a pharaoh was that she wore the pharaoh's beard didn't matter that you know she had breasts and everything because she had the pharaoh's beard a pharaoh could only be a man thus she was a man because otherwise she wouldn't be wearing the pharaoh's beard um, which is a a fun little side note Um, so after the customary two pages of quotes and pictures we get the intro which is just a single page and it gives a quick overview of the books and i really don't have any comments here because you know it's just a quick overview yeah yeah, so, it's, it's what we're used to and it fills its purpose yeah so chapter one is about the gangrel and while the intro story feels a bit meh to me nothing special here it does transition straight into the chapter which is framed as some gangrel instructing a neonate uh, who is the gangrel from the intro story and I'll say I love this chapter, the way it's written. You really get the feel that this is a couple of Gangrel talking. They introduce themselves the way that they explain that Gangrel introduced themselves and the writing. It has no great flourishes. You really get the sense that this is a pair of plain spoken, straightforward people. So really thumbs up for the writing on this. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, the, um, the intro story is, is kind of meh and, and stereotypical. Uh, one one thing I do like about it is is because um, at the end of it there's there's this gangrel who more or less take revenge on, on mortal uh, the mortals who, who wronged him in life uh, and one of them is is an abbot and he attacks him uh, the, the gangrel attacks him in in the abbot's church uh, and and a, a cross does nothing uh, but then the the abbot uh, he he picks up a torch and waves it in front of him and and the fire uh not and, and they make it this specific not the divinity of the abbot uh is is what um what makes the gangrel frenzy but of course as he frenzies he he kills the abbot and yeah. um and burns down the church um and and this brings me to the topic of torches because torches weren't as common as as hollywood and Game of Thrones and whatever uh, wants you to believe, because first of all, they they aren't really that uh, that that useful. They aren't really that good at, at what they're doing because they 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 don't really produce uh, that much light. So they're they're not really effective. No, they uh, produce a lot more heat than actual light. Yeah, and uh, and second of all, um, you don't really want, especially indoors, uh, and especially during during this time period, because. Uh, you don't really want flames that big uh, up on the walls because the the risk of you setting fire to something is is quite huge. Um, so so the reason for for uh, movies and and TV shows using torches is because they are cool. But yeah. as a source uh, as a source for light, they aren't really that good because uh, since since the light is omnidirectional, you you kind of need to hold it behind you. To light up what is from in front of you, uh, and not to blind yourself. So, uh, so they, they're not really that useful. Uh, lamps in and lanterns in in many different uh, variations were around at this time, and and uh, oil lamps uh, weren't uh, was a really common thing even up here in in Europe. You would use vegetable yeah. oil or, or whatever. Uh, so, so is, it's just something that has irked me because there's a lot of, of instances where they mention that holes and especially 
uh, havens of vampires are lit up with torches. And and it's like, no, because you would have to roll for Rodshrek like yeah. every five <laughs> minutes because, oh, look, there's an open flame. Look, there's another one. So so if, if you want to play around with this, like keep keep your flames down or at least keep them logical like use use lamps and and lanterns and candles even for fuck's yeah. sake uh, and and save the torches for when you really want the cinematic uh, dramatic kind of movie-esque scenes because that's that's when they come to their true essence yeah. Or when you have when you have um, vampire hunters who know about vampires and their weaknesses, yeah. they would obviously wield torches because look, open flame. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, well, I, I do I do like that we have a monastery where there is apparently no vampires in it. Yeah, well, at least at least before one came and burned it down. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Um, okay, um, so the first section talks about gangrel history and culture, and I really like the setup for the clan history. The Gangrel claimed that they had the descendants of uh, the daughter of a god, a daughter by the name of Inoya, who is uh, in you know in, in what we could call common vampire mythology, seen as the Gangrel antediluvian. And and she, along with a brother, fled east to avoid the squabbles of the god's children. They just got tired of everybody fighting each other. And then they got to squabbling themselves, and so they created the Gangrel and the Ravnos clan as soldiers in their battle. Uh, the Ravnos then awoke the giants, whatever they are. We, we don't actually get any uh, explanation throughout the book as to what the giants are. And then they went to war. And Anoya was betrayed by two of her childhood named Lianan and Libon, obviously the name of, of two bloodlines. And the Gangrel lost the war and had to flee back west. And I think this is a really cool story. It explains the dislike that the Gangrel have... Um, had written into the background for the Ravnos especially um, and and it's it's also kind of cool to have a background story that was that's not just you know we are the greatest we are the best we want everything but no we lost yeah. but we survived so so it, it shows the gangrel tenacity that yeah we lost this war but we survived and obviously they only lost because someone betrayed them and I also really love the fact they never explain what the eastern giants actually are you know you could say well they are what were they called, the Quajin or something like yeah, that? The, the Eastern Quagin. vampires. I, I think they're supposed to be like, like in in other books, and uh, I think they're supposed to be the the Quagin or the Eastern vampires. Uh, yeah, the but they could in, be something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't need to stick with this if if the, uh, if you don't want to, and like if if you really want to go into it, it it could just be something made up by either the Ravnos as, as something it could be uh, something they, they summon using Chimera or Dark Rituals or whatever that you think is cool or it could be it could just be something that uh, the Gangrel use as an excuse for, for losing the war like yeah we didn't lose well if it would just have been us against the Ravnos no problem but then all of a sudden giants come on who can <laughs> win against the giant uh, so so yeah, that's uh, I, I like the fact not only that they spread away from Europe and that they go to uh, somewhere else. Uh, again, it doesn't really uh, specif uh, specify what the East is. Even it it could be I don't know Northern Siberia. It could be India. It could be China. It it could even be down to uh, like I don't know Indonesia or, or uh, the Philippines, depending yeah. on, on how far they went. Uh, so, so yeah. I, I, again, I'm I'm a big fan of of 
<laughs> getting the hell out of Europe. Uh, because if for no other reason, it would then explain why there are vampires in, say, modern-day China, uh, if if you don't want to go with the with the Eastern vampire um, rules and stuff like that, you can just say that no, these are the descendants of the the gangrel who went there uh, during the war against uh, the Ravnos, for example. Yeah, um, we then get some culture stuff about gathers, which is just a gathering of local gangrel called by whoever wants to, as well as revels, where the local gangrel gather to hunt and kill a specific target. The gather reminds me a lot of a Viking thing, and I think mm. that that's actually the the uh, intent here. Um, they also mention a grand gather, which is supposed to gather together as many members of the clan as possible, and requires someone with the balls to actually call it. Or I should probably shouldn't say balls because the last one who called it was a was a woman. Yeah. Um, so so someone someone who has the the guts to do it, and it's explained that that the person who calls a uh, a grand gather will be constantly challenged and if they fail at any point then they're going to get killed and they say one hasn't been called since the fall of rome and that's obviously a really awesome story hook for when is the next grand gather going to be yeah um we end but with an introduction I'm, I'm thinking oh, sorry, about yeah. that the, the grand gather isn't that isn't this kind of of baiting especially since we get a letter from karsh to or to karsh from from xavier the uh, yeah. the gangrel justicar later on so I'm, I'm thinking that this actually kind of of uh, is a bit of of plot hooking for uh for the story that is told through the the modern knights uh, clan novels and which of course leads up to to gehenna and and everything at the end yeah. of times so i i like it that that like if if you know about it you know kind of what's what's going on or or again it shows how rare the uh, the the grand gather is that that basically it's it, it's been done when uh, during the fall of Rome and when the world is ending. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we end with an introduction to such things as the Gangrel embrace and their attitude towards diabolic ghouls and religion. I feel the section did a really good job adding nuance to a clan that can often feel a bit flat, but I feel like. It could have done more to help alleviate the problem that the Gangrel clan suffered from at this time, namely being portrayed as a clan of wandering loners. And it made them difficult to integrate in, in a lot of stories and a lot of, of people who just w said, I'm going to create a Gangrel, I'm going to go off what the books say. They end up creating this kind of character that has difficulty meshing in a non-nomadic group. Uh, but what did you think? Yeah, I, I agree that uh, I like the fact that it, it gives a lot of depth to uh, to the clan. Uh, there are some things that I feel, if if we take an overly realistic point of view of it, it's um, it's kind of un unsustainable because like if either there are really few gangrel or they the, the kind of lifestyle that that they live isn't really sustainable because if you're always on the move and you you only uh, or mostly stick to your own clan and you have to fight lupines and and tremere and and everything else every step of the way you wouldn't and and of course fighting a lot leads to the risk of of frenzying and and uh, getting closer to the beast and stuff like that so yeah. so you wouldn't I don't know. It, it feels, in some ways, that that the clan wouldn't survive for that long, and and especially um, elders of the clan 
would would quickly kind of of descend into into beasthood. So it, I don't know. In some ways, it if I feel it kind of clashes with with how the clan is prevented in in the modern nights because if if everything you do you're doing in in the dark ages because it's it's mentioned uh, that um, animalistic features can be a sign of uh, of of honor. Like if if you're an elder that doesn't have any signs of uh, of falling to frenzy, then then you're seen as a coward. Uh, and if you're young and have too many, then you're seen as as rash and and kind of um, not trustworthy. Uh, so, but but like sooner or later, if if we go by this, uh, most of the modern night, and by that I mean like the 1900s and, and the 20th century uh, gangrel would just be like snarling beasts and and it wouldn't really uh, <laughs> it wouldn't really work so so you kind of have to to do a bit of of storytelling and and gameplay separation uh, and the same kind of goes with the fact that they, uh, the the other thing that except for ravnos that that they mention quite a lot is of course werewolf lupines uh, and the amount of werewolves going around and they they talk about the fact that that gangrels actually on in some occasions hunt they they uh, gather and they uh, start a revel and they actually fight the werewolves uh but like the werewolves are at this point of time they should be uh, more numerous than the gangrel yeah. and they should just they should just win basically so yeah. but but when when i read it i was like yeah this this doesn't really work but then i just i i remember what what the great uh prophets of of uh, mystery science 3000 said and it's uh remember it is just a show and, and i re- really should just relax so that, yeah exactly the, the ms3 I... uh, mst3k mantra is is quite useful when we go through it and and again i i really don't have a problem with it uh, from that point of view, it's it's just something that you might want to uh, keep in your thought when when you're writing gangrel characters or for gangrel characters. Yeah, I, I I like that they later changed their um, their clan flaw to uh, they they have one animalistic feature and then when they frenzy it changes and then if it's a really severe frenzy then one animalistic feature may stay and then they get a second. So because. I remember when we first played the um, Transylvania Chronicles, we had a, um, a player who played a gangrel, and he ended up being nothing but animal features. And we like we ended up having having trouble coming up with new animal features for him. Uh, we, we, we were starting, you know, to get silly, like maybe one of those anglerfish uh, dangling things with light, oh or maybe a, a penis bone like a cave bear, mm. uh, just throwing out complete and utter weird suggestions simply because he, over the course of these 850 years yeah he frenzied a couple of times yeah. and it's just like what's left in the end um but yeah so the next section talks about the gangrel across the world and the clan's attitude to other clans and to lupines mm. the geography section is pretty cool and it does have some quite accurate observations about the nations of the time such as France being less of a unified nation and more of a patchwork of lesser lords. So that gets points for historical accuracy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and of course, the same goes for, uh, for the whole Roman Empire, which they kind of scoff at because it's, it's not really a 
a um, uh, an empire. It's it's a bunch of of tiny little uh, s- smaller kingdoms and and fiefdoms and dukedoms that, yeah. that are and it's not in- Roman either. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, uh, and it's not quite holy even. <laughs> <laughs> no, considering the amount of vampires running around, no, you probably couldn't yeah. in 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 fair terms call it holy but but yeah i i I liked it and um i i like there's a lot of the uh, the gangrel uh the clan in general that i like i i really like their their sink or swim attitude that that kind of when it comes to uh when it comes to embracing and i like a, a lot of the the quirks they have like uh for example if um the the kind of symbolic uh one of the, I think it's one of the subclans that are supposed to do it. Like they, they buried their, uh, yeah, the 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 Balkanese or the Balkan gangrel. Uh, they embrace people in in pacts, uh, in or in packs. Uh, the the pack seeks out a suitable mortal, uh, one with bravery, bravery and skill, and stalks him, and then they embrace him. And then they bury him uh, nearby a crossroads and. Uh, if the first test is kind of like managing to dig yourself up, and if you if you manage that, if you go to the roads, uh, then you fail uh, because ah. you're you're supposed to uh, embrace the uh, or this is how I interpret it. You're supposed to embrace uh, the natural side of the gangrel. Yeah. So if you run into the woods, then yeah, you're one of us. If not, you're still part of of civilization and. Uh, and must be destroyed, uh, which mm. they are. So, so yeah, I, I like the kind of different little little quirks. Uh, and and again, I see kind of this foreshadowing with the the pack embrace and how uh, the modern Sabbath packs often do the similar thing, just yeah. burying and uh, burying a bunch of embraced people and and taking or well, not taking care of, but uh, <laughs> taking up the ones that that manage to survive. Uh, yeah, so, and you uh, you also have the connection to the the folk myths yeah. of Eastern Europe about yeah. burying a vampire at the crossroads. Yeah, exactly. So so there is a lot of these small kind of hints that show that that uh, authors have done the research not only in in like like you say folklore and stuff like that, but also uh, in <laughs> in their own game basically. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, I I like it. I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking for. Uh, what would be an interesting way uh, or, or an interesting idea and and uh, because they are of course um, gangrels aren't really they, they don't really like religion at all uh, but I'm and in the same way I'm thinking that gangrel crusaders could probably be a thing because if, if you look at how uh, religion and how God was the Christian God was pr- portrayed back then, it wasn't really this this nice uh, hippie Jesus love God that is that, that has since taken root a bit more. Uh, like the, it is still in in a lot of ways the Old Testament gods, and you can see this in in the laws of the lands as well. That that the uh, um, the canonical laws that a lot of of uh, kingdoms or, or rulers still used is is really. Uh, is is really vicious and and like it's it's literally an eye for an eye. Oh, hi, doggy. Uh, <laughs> it, she brings me gifts because she wants me to play with her. But uh, so, but but yeah. Uh, so so like as as an example from from history, uh, Charles the Ninth of Sweden. Uh, he 
when he became king, he reintroduced, and this was in the early uh, 1600s, when, when he became king, he, he reintroduced a lot of the, the ca- uh, canonical and, and religious punishments for um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the crimes. Uh, and, and that, of course, and, and of course, a lot of the, the punishments or the most common punishment is usually death. Mm. Uh, and this wasn't necessarily because he, he wanted to, to kill adulterers and stuff like that. But according to the law as well, the only one who could, uh, what do you call it, commute, transform um, uh, yeah. the, the, the capital punishment was the king. So basically... He used religion as an excuse to to gather more power for himself because, of course, you could always petition the king uh, for for clemency. That please, I'm, I come on, I just slept around a bit. You, there's no need for me to uh, to be executed, right? Come on, we're friends, please don't kill me. <laughs> and and so the the magnanimous king would, of course, quite often uh, uh, commute the the penalty to something else, usually fines, mm. because. Dead, yeah, people, money. dead people can't pay taxes so uh, <laughs> yeah but, but yeah I'm, I'm thinking that that an, a really old school uh, christian gangrel who joins the crusade because that's a really good way of showing what a cool warrior you are uh, could be an interesting concept yeah and i'm kind of reminded of uh, of a quote from um, an old sitcom called the nanny where uh, one of the main characters is jewish and at one point she says remember my god is not a forgiving god mm. <laughs> which exactly. just it's it, it's actually a pretty hardcore quote and yeah it's it's the whole thing about god being a forgiving god is mainly in the new testament so uh, so yeah you're absolutely right and if you're more of an old testament kind of guy i think the gangrel could respect that um so we also have the attitude to other clans, and that's pretty much what you would expect. Yeah. Unfortunately, the section on the Ravnos does use the word gypsy, which we have talked about before. Um, I do like that they dispel the myth of the gangrel having an understanding with the lupines and basically saying, uh, no, we don't. Uh, yeah. Avoid them unless you are you know, a powerful group where you think you can take them, because they're dangerous. Yeah. Um, exactly. so, so yeah, let's, yeah. let's keep it like that, because I don't like the idea of of the gangrel being sort of uh, friendly with, with lupines. Yeah, I, um, I do, speaking of the Ravnos, though, I, I do like the fact that uh, they they say it explicitly, and I can see why, that uh, they are not special, that the gangrel are not special protector of, of the Romani people. Uh, no. They, they merely hunt the Ravnos who, who typically travel in their caravan, caravans. Um, and... Uh, and, and I, I can see why they do it, why, why they want to kind of like uh, distance themselves from the whole like the, the stereotypical gangrel and, and Dravnos Dromani characters uh, because mm. that, that wasn't really a good thing. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I do like uh, that, that they actually acknowledge this and, and they do something about it. Yeah. We then get on to the mechanics, new merits and flaws, discipline, powers, and bloodlines. Are there any here that you would like to mention? Uh, yeah, I would like to mention the uh, the first merit, which uh, is without a trace. For and and I feel I, I like it, but I feel that it's kind of cheap because for for mere mere two points, you basically is impossible to uh, to track you leave no trail to follow as the earth swallows your footprints and the trees and grasses cover your scent even magical means of tracking you are inhibited so basically you you 
can't be tracked by by survival or use of dogs and i would guess it, it would be interesting if a modern day character had this because I'm, I'm thinking like drones and spy satellites yeah. would they work uh, but but they would even, probably like glitch out when when trying to uh, to find you that would be cool yeah uh so and um what about surveillance cameras oh no that's that's another <laughs> topic but yeah even if you have all specs it's it's a lot more difficult to find you so um that's uh, I, I like the floor, but I think it's a bit cheap, actually. Yeah, I'm thinking what what would make uh, make a really interesting, uh, scary character would be uh, an NPC gangrel with this merit, and and then have them be like uh, an enemy of the city that the characters are in. So you have somebody who comes in who kills. And if they manage to get away, you're not finding them until they strike again. Yeah. Uh, so you can make a really scary um, opponent uh, using using this this one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it, it it is a bit on the cheap side if if you're in a situation where it's useful. Yeah, and and you know what what you just said reminds me of because I'm I'm thinking historical myths and and vampire stuff now. Hmm. Uh, I'm I'm thinking Beowulf and Grendel. Oh yes, because that is the way you described it is, is almost on on point with with how Grendel is. Um, yeah, arrives at Heorot, kills people, leaves. Nobody can find him. Yeah. So so yeah, that that could be a really that that could be an entire story by itself. Like, who is this creature? Because you don't necessarily know that it's just a gangrel. It could be no. anything else. So yeah, that's that's a really interesting story. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. So uh, so no, I'm just that, that's the interesting one. The, the other the floor, uh, which is I think it's kind of interesting. It's called the Pied Piper, and and it could be a two up to a four point floor, and it's it's basically it turns you into a Disney princess that that animals <laughs> gather around you. Uh, yeah, which. Which, in some ways, could actually be useful if you don't have anything else to eat. But on the other hand, if if you're traveling uh, through a city and there's a bunch of pigeons and rats following you, then people are probably not going to like you. So, um. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 a bit. It maybe it's maybe a bit strange, but but yeah, it it's, it has fun implications. Um, one thing that I want to talk about is a power that is a level seven power. So that's a lot. Uh, and it's called revert the beast mm. where you can use that power to suppress animal features for, uh, a given amount of time. And I just think for a level seven power and given that it also has a cost in, uh, I can't remember if it's blood or willpower. No, three blood points. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking, what can that do that you can't do with obfuscate? Three or vicissitude one. I mean, yeah, because yeah. the the the, the um, animal features come back. So so vicissitude one would allow you. It's going to take some time, but it would allow you to remove your own animal features. Possibly you need to get to vicissitude three to work bone. Mm. I can't remember exactly how that that works, but I think vicissitude one is enough to work bone on yourself. Uh, and yes, vicissitude cannot undo the curse of Cain. So when you sleep, the the features come back. But with this power, the features come back anyway. Obfuscate, yes, it can be seen through with uh, with the uh, specs, but I'm thinking that this power is mainly to disguise yourself from mortals who who sh- who you know will freak out if they see your animal features. Yeah. So yeah. I think this one is just it's a lot of points to pay for something that you could do differently. 
Um, it's, so... it's like you said. First of all, it's it's a level seven power, uh, and yeah, so it's gonna cost a lot of experience points. But but yeah, I'm, I I think that I throw this in here because kind of for the reasons that we discussed, that sooner or later you're you're going to turn into some some kind of weird uh, chimera like beast if if you French yeah. a lot, and and so they kind of probably realize that okay, we we need yeah. a way to mitigate this. Yeah, and then one interesting thing is uh, the the various bloodlines. Uh, you have the Greek Gangrel, where they have obfuscate instead of um, I can't remember if it's it's um, animalism it's or fortitude. Yeah, uh, and I'm just thinking: are they are they laying the groundwork for the city Gangrel here, who obviously have obfuscate as well as celerity? Um, and of course, the Greek Gangrel are more of an urban yeah. line of uh, of vampires. So. I'm just thinking that that they might be be laying some groundwork uh, here, and I love the fact that they mentioned that animal features need not be physical animal yeah. features. You can also develop things like, um, you know, scratching up against uh, posts and stuff like that. More more social um, animal features. I I really like that, and I think it it gives a whole new opportunity and dimension to the gangrel, especially as we've mentioned when you're trying to come up with new animal features, you can add some that are not physically obvious because otherwise you're just going to end up like looking like a chaos spawn or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And and some of them can be really fun, like like sniffing people that you meet or, or baring your teeth when you're when you're angry or, or afraid or something mm. like that. So but but yeah, even with those, just remembering all of them when you play out a scene can be a bit of a hassle. So it, it's <laughs> yeah. like so okay, I, I need to to uh, scratch the door when I enter, and then I need to uh, take take like walk around the room and and sniff everything, and then I need to, to sniff the butt of the person who I'm meeting. And if, uh, <laughs> if if I get upset, I bare my teeth. But if I get happy, I I start yapping. Like it's it's just a lot of bookkeeping, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, we we end with some sample characters, yeah. um, and then a look to the future in the form, like you men- mentioned, a message from Saviour, mm. uh, Justicar of the Gangle, to Karsh, Warlord of the Camarilla. Now, I've I've talked about before. I I prefer Dark Ages to stand on its own. So this looking to the future isn't for me, though. It is interesting to see how they they do uh, have these parallels. As for the sample characters, I have no comments other than the fact that one of them. Does have a hat mentioned in his equipment? Yeah, exactly. Uh, a cap with a feather, even. But but unfortunately, on the picture, it again, it's really dark, so you can't really see what kind of hat it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I like the uh, most of the clothes they're wearing is not necessarily uh, historically accurate, uh, especially not for the time period. There's uh, there's the lady uh, on the lake, not of the lake, and in, uh, in <laughs> the lake. Uh, doesn't say if she throws uh, scimitars at people uh, to make them emperor, uh, but she, <laughs> she has a really nice dress. Again, should be it, it would be more suitable in, in like the 16th century, but but the style of clothing that that people are wearing uh, is is quite um, accurate. The the only one that I would kind of uh, like mention in a negative way is the wild woman concept. Yeah, is basically if if you've seen any kind of like 
red sonia or or uh, furry or fur covered barbarian woman on on the internet then then this is kind of her um, yeah yeah that's a bit you, especially the way that she's drawn you're kind of like that that doesn't look like a, a wild woman that kind of looks like a pinup model yeah exactly even if so, she does have weird feet but that's there there's people for everything uh, yeah there is but be, before we we leave the the gangrels completely I, I just wanted to mention how again how how many different options uh, and how varied they are like for example one of my favorite things uh, is that they, they talk about like why why do you always turn into a wolf when you use what yeah. is it, protein four or something and and they basically yep. say that well it's because you expect it because all of the stories are about vampires turning into wolves uh, but you do have some variation so like in uh, northern african um, gangrel would turn into a jackal or a, a wild dog or, or something like that um, mm. but but also they have the uh, uh, alternative of uh, earth melding and and that you can uh, you you have to pay uh, a few experience points but then it makes you uh, allows you to uh, melt into trees or rocks or or something uh, which is is useful not only because there are a lot of places that don't really have that much earth like if you're up in the mountains or um, mm. I, I would probably allow if if you're um, Say up on on the glaciers of, of Iceland or Norway that you would you could use this to melt into ice as well, yeah. uh, or or trees and uh, and and uh, rocks basically just just cliffs and and boulders, um, and and I really do like the fact that they mentioned that um, it has to be natural and it can't be worked by hand. So you you can't just hide inside a castle wall or or. Uh, in in the door frame of a house or something like that, or in the door of a house. So it's uh, it's a really nice touch. It it gives more more options and and it also has limitations that make sense. So yeah, um, it, it really helps portray the Gangrel as the Gangrel clan as the ultimate um, survivors and mm. adapters. They mm. they adapt to anything. They have a bunch of of you can't even call them bloodlines because they're just tiny variations on the clan and and their their discipline has variations on them because they're just constantly adapting to uh whatever environment they find themselves in so it's 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 really nicely portrayed both through the text and the various rules yeah and and it makes a lot of sense because if if there's if they are to be able to survive as a clan uh, especially being nomadics uh, and for some reason <laughs> fighting lupines as they should be all of the time, they, they need to be uh, to be able to adapt, as you say. And I, I like to, um, that you use adapt and, and not just survive because yeah. there's there's adapting means you can thrive. Uh, exactly, so and surviving. And I think you know this also gives an idea that um, I think a lot of people who play Gangrel kind of miss, and that is the idea that the Gangrel are more than willing to run away. I yeah. mean, if yeah. a gangrel is not going to fight to the death unless there's a very good reason, if they're in a situation where they can see, I I'm probably not going to survive this, run away and then either just move away, wait a hundred years and come back, or approach from a different uh, angle. Um, so I think it's very important for people playing gangrel to understand that the gangrel are the ultimate survivors. And sometimes in order to survive, you have to retreat. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's a really good point. And uh, as you say, you, you can, if nothing else, just outlive them. And they mentioned this with, with the, uh, as a tool fighting the lupines as well, that, well, they're going to be dead in 100 years. You're not. Yeah, exactly. So fuck them. Yeah. Uh, so chapter two is about Clan Asamite. And once again, this is framed as uh, someone talking about the clan, though only uh, in a few snippets at the start of the sections. The rest is a more omnipotent narrator explaining mm. uh, the clan. The intro story is okay. There's a nice dis- uh, display of discipline use, which I always appreciate in vampire stories when you can when you can see that, okay, there's a vampire here who's using disciplines. But it's not something that blows me away. The one thing that I didn't like overall about this chapter is that it paints the Asamites as the dominant clan of the Muslim world, as if they're the clan that has the most princes and the most territory. And this seems weird, considering that it is generally assumed that the first and second cities were somewhere in the Fertile Crescent. It seems odd to think that over the millennia, all clans except the Asamites kind of moved out of the Middle East. (laughs) It's like, why why did... Why does did the majority of all the other clans leave the Middle East and only the Asamite stays? And fortunately, once we get to the book Veil of Night, they they change this. But it's it's something that is very inherent in the description of the Asamites pretty much up until you get the book Veil of Night. Um, so so that's something that I don't really understand why they have because for a very long time, the 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 epitome of civilization was the Middle East. And and yeah. even when Rome was at its height, yeah, you could see vampires moving there, but you still had a lot of powerful um, civilizations in the Middle East. Uh, but anyway, we once uh, again start with an overview of the clan. There's less history this time, probably because the Asamites are fine with claiming descent from Cain, so we don't need uh, an alternate origin story for them. The th- we then have the three castes, uh, the warriors, the sorcerers, and the viziers. They're explained, and we get some geography. There's a nice sidebar on gender and what they call race, what I would call ethnicity, which explains that, yes, women and Europeans do get embraced. So they, they sort of break with this idea where they once said that the Asamites do not embrace women and they don't embrace Europeans. And here they explain that, that there was a time when some of the castes didn't do this, but that has changed. Uh, all of this section uh, up to um, the part called Affairs and Concerns, this is pretty good, but I just I didn't find it quite as engaging as the Gangrel chapter. Good, but not quite as good. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree that it was good. It's uh, Asamites have, have never been a real favorite of mine, and, and it's... A lot of it has to do with that that they're kind of problematic in, in ways that you touch upon. So yeah, I agree that it isn't really that um, that kind of engaging in in the same way as uh, as other clans. Uh, I, I agree with what you said about the use of, of disciplines in the intro story, and it also shows the difference between uh, warrior uh, asmites and what I assume is a vizier. Uh, Asamite. So you, you kind of get the different uh, cultural aspects of the Asamite. Uh, as, as for the whole them being the only or the strongest um, clan in, in the Middle East, it's uh, this is probably one of my biggest gripes with, with their clan and, and that is that it's um, they, they made it kind of difficult to separate um, 
Muslims from or Asamites from Islam, rather I should say. That, yeah. That there there is almost a str- too strong connection between um, Asamites as a clan and and the real world religion because it kind of makes sense that if if the Asamites really embrace uh, Islam, then it would make sense for them to be the ruling clan in the uh, area where where Islam kind of originated and and is the strongest. Uh, mm. But but at the same time, it it really makes no sense that they should be the only ones there, and that they couldn't be any, um, well, non either non-Muslim uh, Asmites or uh, or non-Asmite Muslim vampires. So yeah, it's it's a bit problematic. They they do kind of uh, a fair job of of trying to solve this problem, uh, but as you kind of mentioned, that it it doesn't really work. Uh, no, really, really well all the time. I, I do like the fact that they, they specifically mentioned that that the women and uh, non-Eastern people can be embraced by uh, by the, the Asamites. Uh, and if if you want to kind of like throw them a bone, you can say that from from a Western uh, point of view, the reason why there is this uh, prejudice that that they only embrace. Um, Middle Eastern people or, or uh, Muslims could have something to do with the clan flaw that that their skin darkens and so yeah. if, if you're a German and you see someone with dark skin you're going to assume that they are um, that that they are from from Africa or the Middle East uh, even though they're not like for example the uh, one of the uh, characters in the intro story is uh, is a Frenchman called. Uh, Philip uh, Delacroix, and he changes his name to the when he moves to Spain or Iberia, as they call it. He changes mm. it to Delacruz, which I find just is is kind of funny because he's an Asamite, which has really strong uh, connections to the faith of Islam, and Delacruz <laughs> means of the cross. Yeah. So, some someone has a joke somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, exactly. So um, yeah, but but they, they do they do manage, especially from from if you only have the core book or if you only encountered uh, Asamites in in the modern nights, uh, they they do manage to flesh them out something immensely, which is really well done. Yeah, and and I I mentioned it a number of times, and I'm going to keep on mentioning it because I absolutely love the book. But once we get to Veil of Night. It's just going to uh, to to do a lot for both cla- the the Asamite clan, the Muslim world, and the Islamic religion in relations to the game. Mm. Um, but yeah, after this, we we uh, take a look at the Asamite headquarters of Alamut. Uh, it's really nice and evocative uh, the way mm. it's described. You you get a sense of it. They don't go into specifics, but you get enough of a sense that if you want to have an Asamite visit it, you can really describe it so it's just I, I i really like how it's done they do a lot with a little here uh and then there's a discussion of faith which does away with the idea that the asamites are the clan of muslims this is nice but the rest of the chapter is kind of written with a very strong connection to islam yeah. i would have liked uh, a bit more on the problems this create you know the older vampires re- who remember a time before islam and the younger vampires who embrace small e the new religion so it's okay that they say we're not the islamic clan but they don't follow through with it really yeah yeah and i completely agree with that because if if we just check the timeline that um, islam was founded in uh, well seven, 692 is, is kind of like the starting point but 
with the the um, 700s or the 8th century. So it's it's only been around for a few hundred years. So you you yeah. should have a lot of vampires uh, of the clan that that remembers time before that. Uh, and and even Christianity has only been around for about a thousand years. So so you will have elders that are that are older than both uh, of these two religions. Um, and and of course uh, Judaism has been around for a lot longer. So um, so it, it kind of makes makes sense in a way. But but yeah, I I agree that they. they they don't really manage to to untangle this mess that kind of is the uh, too strong connection between uh, Islam and the Asamites. Um, yeah. There are some other things that I, I really do like. Like you mentioned, they, they do a lot with with a little. Um, and one one of the things that that really um, that really sparked something is me is. Um, is the black throne which is oh yeah uh, that is awesome uh, yeah and and it said that uh hakim the the founder of the clan when they came to this secluded mountain uh he he thrust his spear into the rock and from the rock uh raised the uh the black throne which is <coughs> which is a black throne a black uh, stone throne and um, they they founded the eagle's nest, the the Alamut uh, fortress. Uh, I guess they built it around it, around the chair. Mm. Uh, but that that is also uh, the the actual spear is is still uh, lodged into the throne. Uh, and and it said that when Hakim comes comes back to show himself, he's going to uh, pull the the, the, sp- the spear from the throne. Uh, which not only is is kind of similar to the whole uh, sword in the stone thing of Athorian, yeah think, yeah exactly but but I'm thinking that uh, again with the uh, with, with, with the uh, the other clans in this book that or specifically the gangrel that I'm I'm thinking that uh, b- because the the story of Hakim uh, with the the spear and his throne and the eagle. It really uh, reminds me, in in a way, of uh, of Odin. Uh, oh yeah! So, so I I'm think about that. It, it would be really cool if you have uh, not necessarily that many, but it would be a cool character concept to have um, basically a, a, a Viking Asamite who has heard about uh, because. As we know, and as we've seen in the very historically accurate documentary, The Thirteenth Warrior, um, <laughs> oh, Vikings Vikings did travel this far down south, and uh, uh, they did they, indeed. They actually no problem did. there. Uh, not not only yeah. uh, Antonio Banderas in that movie, but there there are uh, stories of uh, and historical um, uh, depictions of of Vikings uh, going down to the Middle East and and trading and and warring and everything. Uh, so it's it could actually work that that one of these, uh, or if you want to have like a subsect, you could have uh, a small group, perhaps thirteen uh, Viking warriors <laughs> that uh, that heard about this uh, the, a throne with a spear in it, and and they uh, up in a mountain as well, and and they kind of like yeah that that has to be the throne of of Odin, uh, and and it's also guarded by by these really strong undead warriors. Uh, Ooh, let's go figure that yeah, out. Exactly, because that's that could be a twist on on the whole Valhalla thing, which which is yeah, it's dead warriors uh, guarding the the throne of of uh, the the god king or the yeah. king of the gods. 
So, so I, I would definitely see uh, if if you want to have a bunch of, of Viking um, Viking Asamites who like really embrace the whole thing, uh, and and of course that could be really useful against um, uh, against the Christian Crusaders as well because like oh you're you're coming here to destroy our Viking heritage or or uh, Asa through heritage down here fuck that we're we're gonna fight you tooth and nail. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, it, uh, I, I I want I want to play this at some point, or I want to. <laughs> it's a, it's a really fun story, um, and I also love the fact that it's a spear because spears mm. don't get enough love. Um, yeah. I love that it's not a sword and, because you know spears are just great weapons. Yeah. And and of course Odin had a spear, so, so yeah, it, it makes even more sense. Mm. Uh, we then get the the laws of Hakim. Uh, I really love those uh, because I like the background of the Asamites once having been Cain's judges and Hakim being a lawmaker. So th- this this really resonates with me. We also get a mention of the curse laid on the Asamite warriors by the Bali and an explanation of something called the dispossessed. Uh, these are individuals who have not pledged their full loyalty to the clan. Uh, they're still considered Asamites, but they're just you know they they don't get all the the cool benefits like the dental plan or whatever yeah. of, of being a member of the clan uh, and and it, it they don't get I, the timeshare really... in Alamut, so they <laughs> yeah um and and i i really love how they mentioned that actually most of the asamites who take jobs in europe uh they're actually dispossessed rather than true clan members thus further disarming this whole middle eastern assassins running around killing white people thing yeah. uh those are actually the ones who are not true clan members so that's that's a really nice take on it Mm. Uh, we then have the asamite opinions on other clans again they are what they they always are there's there's nothing spectacular there in my opinion and then i look at the three bloodlines or castes as the asamites call it that make up the clan i really like this division because it gives a lot of depth to a clan that was just middle eastern assassins Uh, we also have some information on the leadership of the clan and the various groups within it um so i like this section yeah, I, I agree, and and as you said, it it's uh, it brings a lot of a bit more depth to to the clans, and it shows the um, yeah the, the diversity in in the clan. So I'm I'm thinking that if if I don't play uh, the the Viking Asmite, I would probably really like to play uh, an, uh, a Vizier uh, Asmite because they have the kind of um, the the kind of uh, adventuring uh, scholarly uh, feel to them like they, they are the explorers and the travelers they go yeah. go to places which in some ways and I I'm wondering and I'm almost hoping that it's done on purpose that in in a lot of ways um, all three of the clans in this book have kind of similar a similar feel to them that they, they do like to explore and, and spread their their influence or, or just themselves around so so it's uh, again, if we want to move away from the from the stereotypes, it, it would be interesting to have uh, a coterie with, or at least a pair of, like a a visor asamite and a gangrel nomad, and they're just traveling the world, <coughs> not necessarily solving crime, but but again, it it, it would make for something um, for something really interesting because uh, you you also have um, the the connection to the sea that that you have. Uh, the the Asamite pirates and and of course yeah. Gangrel are, are associated uh, to uh, to seafaring as well through the Vikings so so it it, 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 it they do feel kind of similar <coughs> in some ways 
Well, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's you, you could you could have like uh, fun with a group of explorers and just throw in a a, a La Sombra there with their connection to the sea, yeah, and, yeah, and you fun. have a a fun group there. Mm. Um, we then come to the systems with merits and flaws, discipline and plows, and asimized sorcery. Right off the bat, I have to mention that I thoroughly dislike that this book says that the asimites have access to the path of blood. It's always been mentioned that uh, this manipulation of vampire blood is one of the things that allowed the Tremere to survive in the first nights. So I would basically throw out that asimites have access to the path of yeah. blood because that's supposed to be a Tremere only thing and one of the things that suddenly made them uh, powerful enough to survive and powerful enough that the Ventru wanted to protect them. Mm. The new Thaumaturgy Paths uh, mentions that Europeans have not yet learned to navigate by the stars, so I'm going to turn it over to you since you're the sailor here. Is that true? Oh, it's... I, I'd say that, that it depends on what you mean by navigating through the stars because the, the, uh, the North Star has always been around. Uh, well, it, it changed because we're, we're moving through the galaxy. So, but there, there has always been a North Star, and mm. and traveling by by that has it, it, that's something that is known. I think even back, to, like in the ancient Greeks, did that. Uh, so, so it, it kind of depends on how you mean. So, I, it's I, I would say uh, meh on that because it it's <laughs> it, it kind of depends on what you mean by it. But but yeah, it's a bit of an oversimplification saying that you could only uh, that that it, it hadn't been discovered because it it might have been, but it wasn't necessarily used uh, that much because they had other ways of uh, of, of uh, traveling. Um, and and it kind of depends because like. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't u- unique to the people of the Middle East to, to navigate by stars at this time. Um, mm. it, it might be more involved, uh, but I, I really can't say because um, I really don't know that much about Middle Eastern <laughs> uh, celestial navigation. So that's that's on me. But but yeah. Um, oh well. <laughs> uh, do you have any anything that you want to mention in this uh, system chapter here? Uh, well, I, I do think that uh, the merits and flaws are are kind of interesting. That, for example, you you have the religious prohibition that that oh yeah uh, you were either Jewish or Muslim, so you you can only uh, you, you can't drink animal blood, uh, and your uh, yeah you you have kind of restrictions like that because it's it's an interesting. Uh, it allows for story, uh, role playing, and storytelling, and it's nice that you actually get a few extra free, freebie points because I could easily see uh, this as something that we, you would just role play. But the fact that you get a few, you get something for it, encourages that kind of uh, role yeah. play. Um, and and the multicultural uh, merit, which basically allows you to. Um, blend in with the local populace it's it's also interesting because it um again it's or, or first of all it's really useful for an assassin uh, yeah. and but it, it could also really be um something fun to play around with yeah in, just in in general terms of, of role playing mm. so yeah that, those those were kind of in, interesting really don't have anything to say about the um the discipline powers like some of them are kind of useful and, and some of them are not, but I haven't really played uh, an Asimite enough to know if, if there's something that I would really like to have. 
Uh, we end with the signature characters and then a note on the historical sect of assassins, which I really like because there's just so much misunderstanding and legend surrounding the assassins. Uh, they, in in recent years, they've sort of become the ninjas yeah. of of our time uh, with with how the legends around them are are described, and they really weren't that super effective. Nowhere near what what the legends the or and 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 modern stories tell uh do you have any last comments on the asmites uh no i am um, just to to add on a bit of, of what you said about the uh the historical assassins is what i do like is how they mix um asmites and and assassins the the mm. historical ones and and it's it's a bit too long to go into detail here but i, I do like the fact that they've mixed and and not only is it the mortals taking inspiration from the Asamites, but the Asamites also take some inspiration from from the mortals, which is always nice. Um, and and that is the kind of the the, the main power of uh, of the assassin sect was basically propaganda. Since as you mentioned, they they weren't really that successful, but when they did succeed, they had this spectacular and and often public assassinations. Uh, and and it made uh, it made the people in power uh, unsure because if if you can be assassinated on your way to church or or the mosque or or the temple uh, then then everyone can be so so it's it's more of a uh, psychological tool than than anything yeah. else so yeah they, it, it's a nice touch that they they combined the two or or at least had an explanation for for it. Mm. So we end with chapter three, which is all about the set sites. And here I really like the intro story, which goes straight into an explanation of the clan. I think it's really well handled and it feels very set site. Uh, one complaint is the name of the set site in question, uh, Aksenaten. Now, I don't speak ancient Egyptian, but I think this might mean something along the lines of he lives for Aten. It certainly mentions Aten. Now, Aten was originally an aspect of the sun god Ra, mm. but the pharaoh uh, Akhenaten, father of Tutankhamun, declared him the only god and then retired to uh, a city built just for uh, the, the pharaoh's family to worship Aten. It's an interesting story. I suggest people look it up when they have the time. Just, you know, uh, just read the Wikipedia entry. Yeah. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and and yeah. it, it 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 explains why when they found Tutankhamun's tomb, it hadn't been disturbed because yeah, read read the story. Mm. But um Anyway, given that Egyptians believed that names had power and writing and saying a name gave power to the holder of that name, it's odd that a Setite would choose as part of his name a god that was associated with Ra, whom the Setites dislike, and which at one point was declared to be the only god in Egypt, thus pushing Set out of the way. It'd be like a devout Christian choosing the name Hail Satan. Yeah, uh, th that's a point. Or, or it could be the the usual sneakiness of the the setites that you you wouldn't expect the uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect a, a a satanist to be named Jesus, would you? So uh, it, it it could be it, if if this is his true name, then yeah, I really get your point. But uh, again, considering how important names are, uh, it would make sense. For a setite to give a false name uh, when when dealing with other people, but but yeah, it's a very interesting um, point that you mentioned because um, 
names are important and and you often have this um especially in in like you mentioned the, the tutankhamun and and uh, other um really bad at egyptian pharaohs but they often include uh, a god's name in their name to to show their yeah. devotion so yeah that's that's a really nice point yeah. Anyway, uh, that aside, the chapter starts like the Ganko chapter with the history of the clan. And I really love the way that they do the history mm-hmm. of uh, the Setsites. It explains why the Setsites are corruptors, why they act the way they do. And it ties in well with Egyptian mythology. But what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I agree that that it's, again, Setsites, when when we first encountered them back back in the day, so to speak, there there were this kind of i and i remember there are like countless uh, jokes and stories about them being the kind of dope peddlers standing around in a street corner <laughs> like hey kids want to buy some drugs uh, yeah. and and so turning them into something else that there's there's actually a reason why they corrupt people and 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 of course what what i do like about it it's it's kind of the same as as uh, we mentioned with the bali is that of course the satites are going to set themselves up as as the kind of heroes or or that no yeah. we we do this for noble reasons that you know, this is this is good way we do it to protect people and help people and and everything so so you're not really sure that if this is true or not but but yeah it's uh, it's an interesting um, interesting change of pace, so to speak, and, and it fleshes them out and and um, makes them a lot more uh, well playable, almost in a sense, or or offer different alternatives. Yeah, this idea that they're trying to bring down the the stifling laws and civilization of of um, Osiris and mm-hmm. and Ra and Horus, uh, and they're 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 doing it for the good of mankind, mm-hmm. you know. They they cast themselves, like you said, as heroes. They want to remove all the restraints so that people can do what they want, when they want, how they want. But um, you know, if people did that, you would you would end up. We've seen this again and again. If there are no restrictions, then you just end up with uh, the strongest dominating the weaker. You 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 end up in a situation where those who can, they they take advantage of those who can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so they they paint this as their paradise, where oh, everybody lived in harmony because they could just do what they want. Mm-hmm. But what some people want is to watch the world burn. Yeah. So, exactly. um, and and now there's some as far as like motivations for for being an asshole. I I really like this one, and I and and it kind of reminds me of uh, oh, is it is it the Mayans or the Aztecs who? who committed mass human sacrifice because if they didn't that was the Aztecs yeah the Aztecs because if they didn't the world would end and yeah. and like yeah as as far as as justifications for mass murders go that's that's one of the or it's probably the only one that would justify it but but again it's it's kind of like yeah we we have to kill you because otherwise you'll die and it's it <laughs> so, so, so it's. I, I like this kind of, and I've spoken about this before. When you have both religious and and um, and and mortal laws, where you can see these kind of loopholes, and and where you can see that that you kind of want to twist them to their own purposes. So, so again, this this is another example of this that we. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, there's also some very nice subtle writing in there. The setup is a Setite speaking to a Christian Canaanite, and at one point she says that the Setites forgave the mortal Egyptians because they knew not what they were doing. Mm. So yeah. you have the Setite weaving in wordings from the Bible yeah. when talking to a Christian, yeah. and that's just a beautiful touch. Yeah. I, I spotted that, and I, I was just smiling from ear to ear because that is, that is showing just how good this Setite is at speaking to his audience. He knows he's speaking to a Christian. Yeah. He's obviously read the Bible, so he throws that in there so that this Christian canine has something to relate to. That is just yeah. really well done. Yeah, it's, it's very well written. And, and as we, uh, as I mentioned previously, that it shows that the authors of this book has done a lot of research. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very nice touch. The, and, and again, it's, it's the kind of thing that a set I would do uh, just not not just stating openly like oh we forgive we forgave them like Jesus forgave the uh, the Romans but just just throwing it in there because as a Christian you've heard that that phrase you you're yeah, familiar exactly. with it and so it's it's gonna be subconscious and and that's the way that uh, that's a really nice way of, of manipulating people and not not just that hey do you want to buy drugs it's more like hey do I, I I have something. Do you want to taste it? So so it's yeah. It, it's it's very. What what's the adjective for setite? Setitish? I don't know, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's very much in line with the club. Yeah. Anyway, um, we we then have the ge- geography section, which nicely illustrates the problem that the setites face in that their territory has been conquered over mm. and over and over, and now it's in the hand of the Muslims who are not going to respect any non-Abrahamic religion. Yeah. So the, the set sites are basically SOL here. Mm. There's also a nice uh, sidebar on travel, yeah. uh, given that the chapter says that most set sites travel. It's nice to, to have that. Um, and then we have the traditions of the Setite embrace, a look at divisions in the clan, and the standard, what do Setites think of others? Mm. Um, is there anything here that you would like to point out? Well, well, yeah. F- first of all, since since you mentioned it with the with, with the traveling, it, it mentions the uh, the the, the sarcoph- uh, sarcophagus uh, or sar- sarcophagi that uh, that uh, Setites usually travel in. Uh, and and again and and you also mentioned this in um, in the intro the you could see the the urns for for the mummy which holds the different uh, organs of uh, of the mummy uh, so so it, it 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 again shows shows the research and and it shows that um, the, these kind of ancient Egyptian details that that I really like because it it allows you it, it really gives them a connection to the the culture that they're supposed to be influenced by or uh, inspired by uh, and and i really like this this sort of things because they they often open up to uh, to a lot of role-playing uh, opportunities like and, and we've talked about this before that that and you mentioned it in with your uh, roman uh, roman elder that we did for for the side quest it, that the a setite would, of course, wear modern clothes when out about in with, dealing with with modern people. But um, back at home in in their haven or, or in fancy occasions, they would dress probably in ancient Egyptian garb, just like your mm, elder yeah. would dress in in a Roman toga. Uh, and and so all these these little things, uh, I I really like, and uh, especially since uh, ancient Egyptian culture 
doesn't really it, it's you there there are a lot of things to to learn about it because we know a lot of things about it but but it's it's something that is a bit overseen when it comes to inspiration for uh, for for movies and and stuff like that uh, or, or in this case a role playing game um, and what, one of my again tying into to this kind of I wouldn't say religious hypocrisy necessarily but but this kind of um, religious tiptoeing um, and and that is that uh, and and it's mentioned in in the story as or in in this chapter as well that the for the ancient Egyptians, uh, the the world of the dead was basically a mirror of uh, of the world of the living. So, so this is why you, you built these huge pyramids because uh, you needed all that stuff when you went into the afterlife. Which, again, like I mentioned earlier, is is something akin to, or or it it kind of it's a similar theme that you have for the gangrel. Uh, or the Viking gangrel, so it's it's, it's again the it's a very well um, option to pick these three clans for this book because there there are some similarities between them. Um, but what I was going to say before my my uh, <laughs> getting off uh, was that they I can't remember which city it is, but but since you needed all of these uh, things for the afterlife, you needed animals you needed servants and uh, and you needed yourself basically it's, and you needed your body preserved which is why you would uh, you would modify it and, and you would burn it for example um, and in in quite a few of the of the ancient tombs they have found dolls uh, or, or kind of like small effigies uh, of, of people with uh, names written on them and the theory behind that is that the the workers who worked uh, there uh, who, who built the things the, who built the tombs and the pyramids and, and stuff like that would uh, hide because they they would never be able to afford something similar uh, the, their own pyramid or their own mummification but if they hid a small doll with their name on it they would be able to live on in the afterlife with mm, with that yeah. Um, and so they also on, on a less um, uh, less pleasant note, uh, they, they have been um, if, they have found basically puppy mills of where where sacrificial animals of, of all kinds have been just bred on almost an industrial scale because the, you have found the uh, the remains of uh, severely malnutritioned uh, and and like underdeveloped uh, puppies and and birds and I think even crocodiles because they were just like okay we, we're gonna have to sacrifice and we need to put all of this stuff into the uh, into the grave so we could go out hunting for all of it this or since there is a market for it someone's going to provide it and, and just yeah. sell it to us uh, so that's that's quite an interesting aspect of uh, of Egyptian life and religion, uh, I, again with the kind of like, not necessarily just paying lip service, but taking the easy way out when it comes to religious obligations. Yeah, uh, we then have the obligatory merits and flaws, a new background, and a path of thematology, as well as an explanation of Setite sorcery. I have two things I want to mention. Uh, the first is that the background mentioned the Low Countries, and they weren't actually called that yet. Mm. That was during the Habsburgs, uh, a dynasty that comes later. They they started having the Low Countries. Um, and, and incidentally, do you know what the High Countries are? 
But but I don't. Uh, no, I can't remember actually. No. That was that was uh, Austria and Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, well, that, so, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knows the low countries, yeah. but but nobody really knows that they. Well, a few people actually knows that they're also the high countries, which were obviously up in the mountains. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of what would later become the low countries, as this bleh, is at this point the county of Flanders, which is part of France. And, and France is also mentioned as a region you can have this background in, so it's a bit of a, a miss there. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of it is part of the Holy Roman Empire, so just a, a bit of a historical nitpick there. Well, <laughs> um, is that why people listen to us, for the historical nitpicking? So. Either that or it's uh, because we go off on really weird tangents yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Actually, people, why do you listen to us? Yeah. Uh, put 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 a comment on the Facebook page. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, the second thing I want to mention is that giving the Asamites and Setites thematurgy. Um, on the one hand, I can see it, since they are intimately connected with the two oldest centers of civilization. Mm. So it, it kind of makes sense that they have absorbed the sort of mysticism. Uh, on the other hand, it sort of waters down the Tremere, and it does have a hint of Orientalism about it. Yeah. This this whole thing of the, the mysterious sorceries of the East. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but I just want to say that it's ambivalent for me that, that the Asamites and the Setsites have this sorcery. But anyway, is there anything uh, in this rule section that you want to uh, to mention? No, I, I'm just going to have to agree with you on the Orientalism thing, especially, and people who are better at uh, Islamic lore than me, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but witchcraft and similar uh, stuff like that uh, is a really big no-no in uh, in islam so it it again clashes with with uh, uh, islam of of the asamites which could be a good thing or, or a bad thing but it's it, it's it's kind of weird actually um i i feel that the, the nameless flaw that um that that you have for five points basically your for some reason uh your name and all traces of your existence has been wiped from the earth uh so you have no status in the clan and you have no standing and and you can't really uh yeah you can't really do anything because you're you're almost literally a nobody uh and i don't know i feel that it should be worth more than five points at least if it's supposed to be played correctly because yeah. Especially as a setite, you're you're basically gonna have to build your own. Like I, I would see this uh, as as an, an entire story by itself. Like you're you're a setite who uh, can't even claim your name back, but you actually have to claim a name for yourself. So you could you could fill a lot of adventures with just something like this. And and if yeah. so, I think it. I feel it should be worth more but uh yeah no, nothing really more about the uh, about the rules uh, so yeah. yeah so we once again uh end with some sample characters and then a letter from one set to another which uh once again does a good point of highlighting the attitudes and manip manipulations of the clan do you have any last comments on the followers of set well uh yeah i'm, I'm gonna go back to the to the hairless point that i made earlier because <laughs> uh, no, but because uh, and and they mentioned it that a lot of them uh, it was it was common for uh, for setites to embrace in the Egyptian nobility and and clergy, uh, which kind of raises an, an interesting question for uh, at least for modern day uh, setite elders because they're they're probably going to be hairless 
Uh, and and even in uh, if we uh, talk about dark ages, because like you mentioned that that in uh, in the Muslim countries, having a beard is a sign of being a man. So it it could cause a lot of interesting situations uh, for for setites if they don't uh, have any body hair, and especially if they don't have a beard. Uh, so you you could probably do something fun with that, like do do something. Just, just showing how how weird this uh, setite look, not having any eyebrows, or or if you want to play on the otherworldliness of them, that that they look kind of um, almost serpent-like in in some ways, you could mm. say, because they don't have any eyebrows and they don't have any hair and and stuff. So, but but yeah, that's that's just a, a little historical uh, tidbit that I wanted to throw in there to uh, to encourage people to to do something about with. Um, yeah. All right, so let's rate this book. Historically, there isn't uh, that much information, but what there is is generally good. I really just wish they'd stop putting curved swords into the hand of every single Asamite. Or if they did, make them historically accurate Middle Eastern swords, like a Scythe or a Shamshia, mm. rather than something that looks like a falchion or an oversized tolwar. Uh, do you have anything historical that you want to point out that we didn't didn't cover already? Uh, no, not not really. I'm I'm gonna again throw throw in some some uh, praise for the outfits, the artwork of the characters. Like they're they're again for the uh, for the setites, they they really do cover the feel of it, and it's it's not something that is uh, overly uh, fantastical, and and it's. Uh, we actually don't get the stereotypical bare-breasted, turban-wearing, uh, scimitar-wielding uh, fanatic in the um, character section that we've done in a few yeah. other illustrations. So points on that. Uh, they, they do have some... Uh, one one character is uh, called the Wayward Pilgrim, So and, uh, and, and you're supposed to be a, a penitent Christian, basically. Uh, and he, he's wearing something that could be a microbe of the day and is carrying a walking staff and there's like there there's no spikes on the staff and it doesn't have huge shoulder pauldrons or a oversized <laughs> crucifix so yeah it's i'm i was pleasantly surprised by the the artwork of the characters and the clothing in this book so uh, good job yeah as a game resource i think it does wonders mm. for the followers of set and it adds some really good stuff to the asamites and to the gangrel the background information on the setites and the three casts of the Asamites, as well as uh, the, the Gangrel uh, creation myth, that's what really sells this book to me. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it fleshes out, uh, especially the Asamites and the setites, which are the clans that are most cardboard-like or, or NPC-like, because they, they feel very much like NPC resources for... For the storyteller in in how they were presented at first, and um, I also really do like the fact that they they have these. I don't know, are they supposed to be called breeds and not uh, uh, bloodlines for for Gangrel? But they have the variations of uh, of the Gangrel. Yeah, well, they they call them bloodlines, but yeah, as, as you mentioned, the variation is so tiny that that can you really call them bloodlines? Yeah, but but they they still show that. Not all gangrel are the same. So, so again, it's it's a very nice touch. It's it not it's not something huge, but again, it shows that not all of the clan are the same, which uh, is is really nice. Uh, we we do have the problem with the um, when it comes to the gangrel of the uh, 
uh, lack of or the, the overabundance of animalistic features. Uh, we already mm-hmm. mentioned the problem with, with Asmite and their uh, connection to Islam and uh, and and yeah, so so yeah, that's that's kind of problematic. But overall, I, I really like this book. And well, you're not supposed to do it, but if if you would have judged the book by its cover, uh, <laughs> which which again you shouldn't, I, it, it's it's a lot better than the cover leads you on. So except for oh, yeah. a, a very <laughs> strange uh, illustration of the, on the cover, I, I really like the book. Yeah, so. Next week, we have side quests where we will be looking at the new announcement, well, new when we recorded this, that there are plans for a World of Darkness TV show. Uh, I have posted links on uh, our Facebook page if you want to read it, but otherwise we are going to have a talk about it, um, probably uh, going to talk a bit about how uh, we would we would uh, see uh, a World of Darkness game done in the Dark Ages because that's our thing. But just a general talk about this whole World of Darkness TV show, uh, and also I think just touch on the old vampire TV show as well, yeah. um, which is going to be interesting. So if you don't normally listen to our side quests, uh, I would I would recommend you at least check this one out because um, it's I think it's going to be interesting, and I hope that once we've done the side quest, we're going to spawn some uh, discussion on the Facebook page because I'd like to hear what other people have to say about this. Uh, after that, well, we're going back a bit in the publishing schedule. Uh, since I've been given leave by my storyteller and wife to read Transylvania by night, uh, according to her, we've progressed far enough that there are no spoilers in that book. So that's the one that we'll be taking a look at next time we look at a book. Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? No, I think I've said enough. I, I just checked the <laughs> time and, and saw how long we've been talking, so... Oh, yes, we've been talking for quite a while. And you have a dog that wants to play with you. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, then it is goodbye from me, Jacob. And from me, Peter. Farewell and see you next time. Bye.